The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So welcome this evening to Buddha Loka uh, Centre at the Buddhist Society of Victoria. So on a pretty cool night, but I think not too bad after a beautiful day today. So very good. And so this evening, of course, is the uh, guided meditation evening. And uh, the format will be, you know, there's a bit of an introduction and then the guided meditation for about 45 minutes and then um, any comments, questions or complaints. Probably the first one will be, it was too long. <laughs> Is anybody here for the first time for, and new to meditation? Totally new? Anyone new to, totally new to meditation? No? Uh, all right. Because I was going to say we have an introduction to meditation for new people. But if you have experienced meditating, no problem. And then this this is quite, uh, it'll be easy for you, I think, so good. And if you're wondering who I am, I sometimes wonder. <laughs> I am Ajahn Nisarano, so I'm the senior monk at uh, Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And I ordained with Ajahn Brahm in Western Australia. Now about fully ordained, uh, 20, this will be my 20 fifth year, I think, 25th year, so that's quite a while. And I spent um, almost 14 years in Sri Lanka, and eight, eight of those years in living in a cave, which was a wonderful experience. It was really quite a comfy cave, so that's, uh, it was a very pleasant experience on the side of a mountain, surrounded by uh, forest and animals too. So uh, That's probably more interesting, you think, oh, that, that sounds interesting. <laughs> so I'd like to just do the introduction this evening and uh, talk about what the theme. I always have a theme for the evening. But yesterday we celebrated Ajahn Brahm's uh, 71st birthday. It was yesterday, 7th of August. He was 71. And there, were, well, there was a morning celebration here and a very joyful and lively celebration with the Dhamma School. These are the children that come here on, uh, on the Sunday to have their own program including lighting a cake, uh, lighting candles on a cake and all this sort of thing. So we had quite a fun time. But there were also celebrations in Western Australia and in Singapore and in Hong Kong too. So it was quite a, quite a um, big day. And it was... Uh, and Newbury Buddhist Monastery was a beneficiary of the funds that were raised that day. And it was a very good day because they raised almost $300,000 for the Meditation Retreat Centre. So that's not bad, is it? It's quite an expensive project. But it will provide a really comfortable meditation centre um, in Victoria, in the eastern part of Australia. So it will be very, very, very suitable for um, meditation. And there will be retreats, uh, weekend retreats, nine-day retreats, that sort of thing there. And also self-retreats for people who can come in between those uh, formal retreats. And um, we focused on yesterday showing our gratitude to Ajahn Brahm. Do most people here know who Ajahn Brahm is? Anyone not? Sometimes people don't. <laughs> who? You haven't heard of him. Yeah, he's quite a, quite a uh, famous teacher with a very good sense of humour, a lot of charisma, and very, uh, very, he can 
uh, teach at very lots of different levels. So he can teach uh, with lots of stories and jokes. He's very very much likes humour, and he can teach at a very deep level as well. So he sort of spans a whole range of uh, uh, potential um, uh, audiences that he can have. And in that, uh, yesterday we were showing our gratitude through our practice and also dedicating the energy of gratitude uh, um, to Anjan Brahm. The practice yesterday was taking the precepts and then doing a short guided meditation. <laughs> but uh, of course, any time we do anything good, we can dedicate it to another person who's alive or someone who's passed away, because we call that good karma. So tonight, uh, those who wish to, can, we can dedicate the merit of this evening to Ajahn Brahm as well, <laughs> the practice of meditation this evening, if you know him. And of course, Ajahn Brahm often refers to the, uh, the saying, the quotation from the, the Buddha, his advice, about how we really honour and pay respects to a teacher. And, he's, and the Buddha says, it's in the uh, Mahaparinibbana Sutta, this is a, the teaching of when the Buddha was just about to pass away. And he says it's not through offering incense, candles and flowers, though many people enjoy doing that <laughs> and they get a good feeling from it, but it's through our practice of the Noble Eightfold Path, our practice of what the Buddha taught us. So that is something that uh, we keep in mind, actually. And really, this applies to any teacher and to our parents as well. Any teacher is very happy if we actually use what they uh, gave us and uh, use it in our lives in a very positive way. So it really uh, applies to any spiritual teachers that we may have. So if you don't know Anjan Brahm, you can always think, of a spiritual teacher or someone that's been really important in your life. Uh, so, this evening I was going to say, and I can ask everybody this question, what is something that stands out when you see Ajahn Brahm or you meet Ajahn Brahm? Anybody got any ideas? What do, what do you see when you meet him? What do you uh, what do you notice? He's wearing a robe. Yes. <laughs> His ability to welcome. Yeah, welcome. And how does he do that usually? Smile. Smile exactly. Who said that? <laughs> that was very good. Because that's a, that's exactly it. We were looking at the. They had a, yesterday a, a montage, you know, a collage of photos and some video clips of Ajahn Brahm. And the smile was just fantastic. It's just, it's one of these people that I've rarely seen a bad photo of. You know, usually if we take photos, you think, oh my goodness, not that. No, that's terrible. <laughs> but here's some really excellent. And some of them really touch the heart. So this evening, I thought the theme would be to use the, uh, the theme for the meditation would be to use the inner smile. And this is quite a, um, a quite a good meditation actually because it's that feeling that comes from the heart and of course the feeling that I'm referring to anybody got any idea what you'd call that feeling that's in a smile what does that mean to you I hope it means similar to what I <laughs> think of 
It is, it's contentment, exactly. And that's a feeling of warmth, happiness, a sort of peace, ease and stillness, contentment. And so it's a, it's a really positive emotion that we can develop. It's not one that's often um, encouraged. In fact, most of the uh, encouragement is to be discontent. We can do better, we can get this, we can get that, we need this and we need that, all those sorts of things. But when we uh, develop uh, a positive emotional state like this, we're actually um, developing right effort. Right effort is one of the factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. And it's a really important one because if we're not practicing in the right way with these positive emotions, if we're practicing with any negativity in the mind, the meditation's not going to work. The Noble Eightfold Path doesn't work either. So it's an important emotion to develop. And when we develop something like contentment, there's lots of other emotions too, you know, loving kindness, um, compassion, uh, joy with others, good qualities and success, and this uh, upeka, this feeling of acceptance or equanimity. When we develop these positive emotions, they tend to undermine the negative emotion. We can let go of them, we can avoid them by developing a positive emotion. And of course, our big, the big job for us as meditators is to let go of the negativity in the mind so the meditation can go deep and then we can develop deep wisdom as well. Because these are what are blockages to the meditation. And I think most people here know those, those hindrances that sense desires, and this is thinking about our experience of the world, really. It's a big area. <laughs> it's our, ex our experience, actually. Ill will, sleepiness and drowsiness, restlessness, and a feeling of regret or remorse and doubt. So they undermine the meditation. So it very, helps us if we can develop a positive emotion to, do, to let go of those negative um, emotions that block the meditation. And also, you might wonder how we develop these positive emotions. Often in the West we think that, you know, we're just an angry person, we're just a greedy person, we're this sort of person or a jealous person or whatever. But the only reason we are like that is because we've done it a lot, we've developed that feeling a lot, we've focused on that feeling a lot and identified with it. But if we deliberately repeat um, positive emotions, positive feelings, which we can bring up through meditation, we can recondition the mind, and then we can bring it into our actions and our speech as well. And by repetition, this will become a part of us. It will become a, a habit. It will become part of our character. So we can actually um, you know, steer our minds in a more positive direction by repeating uh, positive things, good things. People who repeat anger a lot end up getting into a rage <laughs> and they get very good at that. Very quickly they can go to it. But we can develop the positive feelings as well. And of course we may wonder why you know, put an emphasis on positive feelings in meditation. And of course it's because, yes, <laughs> meditation is all about feelings really if it's going to succeed. It's not a matter of thinking of concepts, of ideas. It's really this, the feeling aspect. 
which drives our, our lives, really. I mean, feeling, if, if we like something, if we have a good feeling about something, we'll go for it, you know, and we'll be interested in it. So our jobs as meditators is to interest the mind, and we can do that by combining a really good feeling, a positive feeling, with the meditation object. And then the meditation object becomes attractive, the mind can stay with it. And then the Buddha talks about an automatic process that starts once the mind can stay with it, where there will be um, gladness coming up, there will be rapture, this all sounds great stuff, <laughs> tranquility. This is where the body can disappear completely from our awareness. It doesn't actually disappear, <laughs> it's still sitting there. And uh, then, then there's happiness, uh, sukha, and then the mind can come together. The mind comes together. In one point it becomes incredibly powerful and focused when there's happiness in the mind. Not when there's unhappiness, when there's discontent, all these negative emotions, it doesn't happen. And so some of you may wonder, we could talk a little bit about what contentment is. So because it's not such a uh, well-known emotion, as I mentioned, it's not one that's encouraged in our society. In fact, we're encouraged to, you know, want more not feel as if we're good enough. We've got to improve. We've got to improve everything, whether it be the house, the, the home, the, the car, the job, the partner. <laughs> Everything's up for improving. And this is, of course, a mind of discontent. But contentment is just to be happy uh, to be here, wherever we are in the present moment. Happy to be here. And this can be... It sounds, sounds easy when it's pleasant. Of course it is. <laughs> Anyone's happy to be here when it's pleasant, but when it's unpleasant, that's a, quite a tough practice to be happy to be here. And it's a, Ajahn Brahm calls contentment the fast track to enlightenment. You might wonder why that is the case. Because when we're content, we're not wanting things. It's the absence of wanting. We're happy to be here. We don't want other stuff. We're happy to be here. And when we're happy to be here, the mind is much, much stiller, more peaceful, and, and therefore it's really uh, quite very useful for meditation. When we have contentment, it's an inner feeling, isn't it? It's an inner feeling. It's the opposite of our interest in the world, which is we're often looking for our happiness out there, you know, and it's often in the future because we think, well, I'll, when I get this, I'll be happy, you know, when I have a cup of coffee after this or <laughs> whatever, or some food after this, I'll be happy, that sort of thing. But contentment is happiness inside, here and now. Um, the happiness of the world is always in the future and, and it's uncertain. So it's a... It's a it's the sort of happiness that really nourishes us. And it's the sort of happiness that for many people they have no idea about, really. Though everyone here, I'm sure, has experienced contentment. And you just feel completely like, yeah, really good to be here. Don't want anything. It's perfect as it is. Usually that's what we say, isn't it? Perfect as it is. And it has that sense of satisfaction. And there's nothing lacking. It's just fine as it is. And... Uh, it's a feeling of abundance, really. And it's why the Buddha calls, is in the um, Dhammapada, famous collection of the Buddha's verses, he says, contentment is the greatest wealth. 
Because when we're content, we're really wealthy. And so few people in the world are really content. Do you think these billionaires are content? <laughs> I don't think so. They just want to make more, usually. Some of them are, you know, practicing a lot of generosity. So that would lead to a, um, a state of satisfaction, perhaps, and contentment. And as I mentioned, contentment is that sense of, of not wanting. So it's a sense of balance and it allows us to not be pulled around by desire and also trying to get rid of stuff too. And a nice saying from Ajahn Brahm about contentment is, it's not having what you like, it's liking what you have. Which is a beautiful saying, isn't it? I don't know how he comes up with these sayings just like that. And of course, you know, contentment can lead us to simplify our lives, which is reduces a lot of our desires, but reduces a lot of the complexity too. You know, just about the uh, our four basic necessities, which is food, clothes, uh, a shelter, and also medicine. So those things. Because when we have a sense of having enough, we're far, far less busy. <laughs> when we want, we're pretty busy. We have to fulfill that wanting. And then this evening... Yeah, I'm just going to talk about how we develop our inner smile to bring up this warm emotion of contentment, just briefly, perhaps, if we can. And one way, of course, is physically to bring up a smile. Sometimes people think, oh, it's a bit forced, isn't it? But it can be very, very effective. And I'll, I'll, uh, we'll have a demonstration in a minute. <laughs> because because we can develop these happy muscles. It's very strange that when we smile, it, it can bring up a feeling inside as well. And it's strange that you can do it deliberately and it can work. So, because obviously the body has an effect on the mind. But the story I tell about this, and uh, some of the regulars will know this one, is Ajahn Brahm's first meditation teacher. He, this is amazing advice he gave him. He said, he asked him to, when he gets up in the morning, every day when he gets up in the morning, to look in the mirror and to smile at himself in the mirror. Amazing advice. I've never heard of a teacher asking their student to do this. And he said, if you can't manage a natural smile, then he said, then to use his two fingers to, <laughs> to make, make a smile in the mirror. And Ajahn Brahm said he practiced this for two years. And he said, maybe that's why I smile a lot. <laughs> and I've tried this, uh, and I've found it works. Uh, particularly if you don't feel very smiley. Most people don't, particularly in the morning, especially, you know, oh, whatever, if, if you're not an early person. But um, I've found it works, you know, you look in the mirror. It looks so ridiculous, especially if you have to use the two-finger technique. So, would everybody like to try the two-finger technique? <laughs> See, I told you it works, doesn't it? It'll get you laughing every time. But I often wonder why his first meditation teacher would say that to him. I thought, my goodness, maybe he needed to lighten up. <laughs> That's what I wondered. And there was a video of, uh, uh, about the monastery, Ajahn, uh, Brahm was staying in in Thailand. I think it's 1979, the video. It's still available on YouTube, of course, everything is. It's called Blue Eyes in Saffron Robes. 
and in that, he looks really grim. <laughs> I thought maybe this is why his teacher um, uh, suggested that he uh, take up smiling because he needed to smile more. I find it a bit hard to believe because he's always been, you know, from what you hear, he's always been a person who liked to joke a lot, laugh a lot and a very good-hearted person. So I found that hard to believe. So it may be, because I know this was the case too, he had a black tooth right in the middle of his teeth and he didn't want to smile. I wonder, I must ask him, he didn't want to smile because the black tooth would show up. That's, what I, that's another idea. And his first teacher said it was obviously another reason for him asking him to do that, is to bring up this joy and this happiness, which is really the fuel for meditation. It is really important, especially for deep meditation, because the happiness of the mind. When we have this happiness, all the negative side goes down. And often people say to me, you know, that... Uh, their meditation doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It doesn't, it's not getting deep or anything. And the advice that I give them, and I think many teachers do, is that we need more joy in the, um, and happiness in the mind. And that will take, take them deeper. And especially this contentment, because often meditators, they think, what's next? You know, this is okay, <laughs> but I want something more. You know, and of course that's wanting, isn't it? And that's, so that's, that won't take them any further. So, and uh, another, another avenue for developing meditation, apart from the physical one, is, to, is uh, other external things that can uh, trigger that inner smile. And I find uh, Buddha statues can do that, particularly really nice ones that have got this gentle inner smile. Because, and you see, I think most of you have probably seen that people have them in their gardens, left, right, and centre. I've seen many around this area, sitting under trees and all this. It looks nice. And of course, these people are not necessarily Buddhists, but because the, the uh, um, Buddha statue is very, uh, very peaceful and very calm, I think they find that arouses that feeling in them. So this gentle smile of some Buddha statues can bring up that inner contentment, that sense, that feeling of the inner smile. And uh, so it's very useful, can be useful for um, you know, developing this contentment. I've seen one Buddha statue, my favourite I think, in, in Paris, in, in a museum called the Guimet Museum. It's, it's a museum full of Buddha statues and uh, uh, Buddhist artefacts that the French got from, from Cambodia and other places. So probably ripped off, as they say. Yes, but it's got this beautiful smile. And when I see that smile, I think, wow, this looks like the smile of Jhana. It's just so perfect. Even though it's a carved statue, it's got a brilliant smile. And it's, it's that gentle smile. It's not, a, you know, not a, a laughing sort of smile. So we can use you know, a Buddha image or any other image for that matter. And the other things that, some, that can uh, be a source for developing this inner smile, triggering really this inner smile, is somebody else's heartfelt smile, which has touched us. Because all of us meet from time to time somebody and just their smile will light us up. You know, it really goes deep, it really touches us. So that can be something, if we can remember that, 
And it can be like a ray of sunshine in our day, particularly if we're feeling down <laughs> and somebody has this lovely photo, lovely uh, smile. We can also, um, talking of other people's smiles, we can also re remember photos of somebody's smile and guess who I think of? <laughs> Ajahn Brahm. Because <laughs> there's so many uh, good, warm photos that bring up this happiness this con uh, contentment. So there are sources for it. So either physically, we don't have to use the fingers while we're meditating, but we can just smile um, physically. Or we can remember, if you remember a Buddha statue that has that quality, that warm smile. Or if you remember somebody in real life who smiled and really touched you. and Or a photo that does that, you know, that brings it up. And I sometimes suggest too, and I think it's very helpful if we, um, uh, if we notice where the breath is very prominent in the meditation and to use that as like a reference point. It's not always the same place. You know, a lot of meditators uh, um, focus on the nose um, or um, uh, they can focus on the chest or the abdomen, wherever one's aware of it. Because the Buddha actually didn't define really where the breath should be watched. That's a later tradition. Otherwise it would be nose meditation, or chest meditation, or belly meditation, really. So it's very useful, because what it does, doesn't it, it brings stability to the mind. A little bit of an anchor, reference point, that we can notice, so the mind is very much calmer. And for a lot of these positive when we develop a lot of these positive emotions like contentment, like loving-kindness, compassion, where do we experience it mainly? Any ideas? In the body I'm talking about. Yes, the, the sort of chest area, the heart area. So sometimes people find, and I found that recently very helpful, being in that area. But if you're aware of the breath somewhere else, no problem paying attention to that. So there we are. And that's the introduction, a bit longer than it was intended, but nevertheless, <laughs> still. So now we can uh, have the guided meditation roughly for about 40, 45 minutes. So to begin with, if you can find a comfortable posture, if you're not comfortable as it is, to sort of rearrange things. So we can find a comfortable position and we can close the eyes. And as I like to do is just to remind myself or ourselves, to remind our minds, this is time for meditation. So we can be free from the past and the future the prisons of the past and the future, who we were and who we will be, what we will be doing, what we did do, and to just be happy to be here in the present moment. And to have that feeling that there's nowhere else we'd rather be than just here, just now. And we can give attention to the body as it's the posture, just to see if it needs um, any adjustment. We can move the shoulders to 
reduce any stiffness, any tension, and feel if the head is balanced over the shoulders, and the shoulders over the hips, legs comfy. See? And we can relax the body mentally now. This is very important. Starting at the top of the head, the back of the head, the sides of the head, all around the head, to soothe and to relax that area. With this warm, kind attention. And moving the attention down to the forehead and around the eyes and around the cheeks and the mouth and the chin and soothing the face, the whole of the face. Relaxing it. Allowing any tension to dissolve. And now we can move the attention to the neck, all around the neck, and give the neck this soothing, kind attention, like a mental massage. Now bringing to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the right shoulder, relaxing, soothing, any tension, stiffness, soreness, with this warm, kind attention. Now bringing to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and moving our attention slowly down the right arm to include the elbow, the wrist, hand and fingers. Relaxing and soothing the right arm.
are bringing to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck, moving along the left shoulder and soothing and relaxing any tense areas, any areas that are sore or stiff, relaxing the left shoulder as if we're giving it a mental massage. Now bringing to mind the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm and moving our attention down the left arm all around to include the elbow, the wrist and fingers of the left arm. Relaxing, soothing, giving the left arm this mental massage. Now bringing to mind the back, just below the shoulders and moving our attention down the back and gently, kindly, mentally massaging the back. Now bringing to mind the front of the body, just below the shoulders, and moving our attention down the front of the body, down the chest, the um, diaphragm area, the stomach and the abdomen. Giving this, this area, the front of the body, a warm, kind, gentle, mental massage.
Now bringing to mind the left, the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention down the left leg to include the knee, ankle, foot and toes. Giving the left leg this warm, kind attention, soothing it. And now we can bring to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention down the right leg, all around it, to include the knee, the ankle, foot and toes. And giving the right leg this mental massage. Now we can bring to mind the whole body, just sitting here comfortably, at ease, enjoying being here now. Now we can bring to mind the smile of a Buddha statue, if that's a, if you know of a Buddha statue that has a warm smile that you feel a connection with, or perhaps somebody else's smile, someone in, in your life, in your experience, or a photo of somebody who smile really aroused a sense of this inner smile, this warmth within. Or just to bring a smile physically <laughs> to the face. And lastly, for some people, just to become aware of our inner smile.
and we can get in touch with the feeling that this brings up. Remembering a smile that really touched us. Maybe it's a feeling of warmth, a sense of contentment, a sense of ease and peace. And we can let this feeling color the awareness of the present moment. Awareness of whatever is most prominent from moment to moment. Experiencing through this feeling of contentment, sounds, the temperature of the air, feeling of the clothes on the body, contact with the seat or cushion, whatever we are aware of, moment by moment, through this feeling of contentment, the inner smile. And when we become aware of the breath coming and going, we can give attention to that. The breath coming in and going out and noticing where we're aware of it. Whether it be at the nose, the throat, chest, or the abdomen, wherever it is. And we can infuse this breath, give the gift of the feeling 
of the inner smile, contentment to the breath as it comes in and as it goes out. Feeling a warmth, relaxation, of contentment. So we can breathe in with this inner smile and breathe out with the inner smile. And if the mind wanders off, we can remember whatever brought up that feeling of the inner smile for us and where we are most aware of the breath.
And now we can share this feeling of the inner smile, this warmth, contentment, peace, ease and stillness. And we can offer it as a gift out of respect and gratitude to our spiritual teachers, spiritual friends, spiritual guides, Kalyanamitas, and especially this evening for those who know him, Ajahn Brahm. We offer to you, Ajahn Brahm, our practice of meditation, and particularly this feeling of the inner smile. out of enormous thanks and respect. So, wishing that you may have a long life, good health, and the highest spiritual happiness. May you continue to teach and inspire us for a very long time to come, Ajahn Brahm. And we can expand this feeling of the inner smile gradually and gently to everyone here in this hall and who's participating online, wishing that they may be filled with this sense of warmth, joy, ease and contentment, and peace of an inner smile. And we can expand this feeling of the inner smile to include all the living beings in the area where we are, radiating it gently in ever-widening circles, wishing them to this warmth, relaxation and contentment of the inner smile. continue to expand this feeling in ever-widening circles to include the whole earth and all realms of existence, wishing them the happiness, peace 
contentment and warmth of the inner smile. And now we can come back to ourselves and reflect on how we feel now. Is it different from when we began the meditation? And did we feel a sense of contentment, this warmth of an inner smile, or not? And also, What caused the feeling we experienced to arise? And we can make an aspiration or an intention to develop, deliberately develop this feeling of the inner smile with everything we do, so that it becomes a habit and a refuge for us. And we can anchor this feeling of the inner smile in our hearts and minds. And now I will sound the bell, ring the bell three times. And if you wish to come out of meditation at the end of the third ring, you're welcome to. If you'd like to continue, no problem. So we can slowly open our eyes and move our bodies. So I hope uh, people were able to get in contact with that inner smile. I think it's not not so far away from our experience. We've all seen people that uh, their smile just can light us up and bring that sort of joy, um, joyful feeling up in our hearts and minds. And to use this inner smile, this sort of contentment, this warmth in our lives, this inner happiness, 
which can, as I say, become a refuge, a place where we can hang out <laughs> and feel completely at home. So this is something that we can develop in for happiness and well-being in our daily life, but is very useful in meditation. Because if we're having, if we have this feeling of happiness, joy, peace, uh, warmth, relaxation, being at home, inside, that's where we we'll want to be. The big problem with meditation is we're often thinking of the things outside of our minds, thinking of the things in the world, you know, that we're usually preoccupied with and with which, with which we think are happiness. We say to people, no, the things in the world are not happiness. We're giving them the happiness. <laughs> because not everybody enjoys the same thing. And other people might think, no, thank you. So it's, it's really, the happiness is always coming from us. But we often get focused, get attached to things outside ourselves. Smells, sights, sounds, smells, tastes and touches. And thoughts about them. And when we're meditating, these echoes or thoughts about them are what often disturb us, whatever those, uh, you know, um, those uh, things that we're attached to. Maybe it's sport, maybe it's our friends, maybe it's something that's happened recently, positively or negatively, many, many things. But when we have this sense of the inner, inner contentment, this warm feeling within, we don't need to go anywhere else, and the mind doesn't want to either. So it's very important to have this good feeling inside. So I don't. Are there any questions? I think <laughs> is the microphone working? <laughs> We're not going to be definite. <laughs> uh, so if there are any questions, please you can ask at this time. Yes, would you like to come out to the microphone, or you, you don't have to? Perfect height as well. Um, ah. Hello, welcome. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you for the wonderful meditation. That was really good. I enjoyed that. Oh, that's good. Good, good. Um, I'll try to articulate my question so <laughs> you can understand it. It's, uh, um, when you're talking about um, being content, um, I can understand that with... Um, material mm. things mm. that being happy with what you have. Mm. Um, with Buddhism, is it okay to be discontent in terms of non-material things? Like, for example, if you're a writer, or if you're a musician, mm. or if you're an accountant or a father, mm. is it okay to be discontent with what's happening now and want to be mm. to change that? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, because sometimes it sounds like when we're content, we just accept everything as it is at the moment, you know, and, uh, and of course, whatever's happening here and now at the moment, we have two options, either to accept it, I mean, can't you? it's happening right now, so we can't necessarily change at this moment, but what we can change is our attitude to what's happening. And then that can steer us in a different direction, maybe a better direction, you know, because our experience is not always going to be pleasant, you know, and de dealing with unpleasant situations, either what people have said to us or actions they've done, or even mental states that we're experiencing. But if we come 
if we react to these situations with negativity, you know, sort of like irritation, anger, annoyance, frustration, very common, <laughs> it really doesn't help the situation at all. But if you can say, well, I always feel, you know, it's here, it's arrived, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, that helps me to move, in, at least to be not in a negative mind state, and then to be able to accept it as it is now, and then move in maybe another direction. But we often, we can, you know, come from a really negative emotion, and that doesn't really help the situation. We can get angry, upset, you know, it doesn't necessarily help. Um, so this, this contentment, um, it, you're talking about being discontent. <laughs> is it all right to be... Of course, you know, Buddhism is about recognizing the states of mind we're experiencing and realizing the cost-benefit of those states of mind. What do we get out of being discontent? Is it a great state to hang out in? And I think, you know, we just... It's, a, it's really a, a very obvious answer. Nobody, you know, it's not a great feeling to be discontent. But that's something we've got to explore because really only these negative emotions, we only actually are ready to look in a different direction when we see, wow, they're not giving me anything. <laughs> they're not helping me or anybody else, this discontent. And discontent actually is another word for wanting, actually, or desire. We say we have this word craving in Buddhism. It's a big, the big C, <laughs> craving. And discontent is, is really another uh, way of saying that, actually. It's a wanting, but it's a negative wanting. So... You know, but whatever emotions we're experiencing, it's good to be honest about them and to recognize them. And when we really fully recognize them, then we can um, change. We can. I know one of my teachers, she had this uh, saying, quite a nice saying actually recognition, no blame, change. This is Ayakima. That was one of hers. Recognition, no blame. We know what's going on. And. Uh, and then no blame, and then change. Because often our reaction to when things aren't good, there's two, two reactions, actually, that she mentions, and I think are pretty obvious to everyone. We either try to distract ourselves totally, try to ignore it, and uh, bring up, you know, just move the attention completely away from it. Or, and you see this is a big one, actually, Blame. <laughs> blame the other person. Or worse still, blame ourselves. At least if we blame the other person, we, you know, we're not taking it so personally. So, uh, so this, it's good to know what we're experiencing. You know. right. yeah. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Good question. Yeah. And uh, are there any online questions? No, that's good. They're very content. <laughs> yeah. So that's a that's a good question. Yeah. So any other questions or comments about the meditation or uh, about other points? Yeah. Yes. If you'd like to, yeah, you're welcome to come up. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the meditation. Um, I hope my question doesn't come off as in any way disrespectful. I think. Yeah. Um, no, no, good. 
I'm I'm a scientist, so often we question a lot of things. Cool. And my occupation questions. You know, my desire is to understand things, but also yeah. mm -hmm. critically determine if something is right or wrong. So, yeah. for example, in physics, we have to what we teach and learn is standard model of physics. Yeah. But it's very much still under question. We criticize it very heavily. Mm. And we try to understand it better. Yeah. And as far as I understand, I, I don't have a deep understanding of Buddhism, but I want to understand of the eightfold mm. noble truth. Yeah. As is one of the key aspects is that it's inherently right. Yeah. Inherently correct. And I think um, my mm. own occupation is almost contrary to that because I'm struggling to to believe or follow something mm. which inherently thinks of it as being correct or right. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. Um, so this, this is no way a criticism. I'm just, you know, yeah. I'm trying to solve this dilemma for myself to some yeah. extent. Now, that's a good question because I had the same question, actually, when I first encountered Buddhism. I remember being in Malaysia many years ago. It's actually my first trip out of Australia in the 1970s, a long time ago. And I went to a temple in um, Pin... Was it Penang? No, it was... Yeah, I think it could have been Penang. It was, yes. And uh, I saw the Noble Eightfold Path in English. Quite interesting. It was in English and had the right view and right uh, intention right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right, um, they say, concentration. And I thought, how can they say that? What, you know, how can they say that's right? Surely right is different for every person. You know, right and wrong. That there is a certain truth to that. But of course, eventually I, I sort of realized it's right for taking us to enlightenment, to awakening. That's what it's right for. And all of the aspects of the Noble Eightfold Path depend on the right view, the right understanding of reality. And this is, this is all Buddhism is about, and the Buddha's teaching is about, is understanding reality really deeply, deeply. And uh, it, always, it always comes back to three things, actually, in the end. And that's it. And this is something that, I th well, some people would dispute, actually. <laughs> it always comes back to everything being impermanent, of a nature to change, of being unreliable, unpredictable. And a lot of the suffering of COVID at the moment, well, it's passing now, is this real unpredictability in our lives. We just can't count on things being regular so much. So many events cancelled, so many flights cancelled, etc., etc. And the second aspect of reality that the Buddha taught, and he said this, these three aspects are always there. Even if there isn't a Buddha, they'll always be there. That nothing in this world can permanently satisfy us. There's always a sense of dissatisfaction. We may get something perfect for a moment, then either that thing, that person, that situation changes, or we change. We no longer uh, feel the same about it. So that's the second aspect, and this is called a dukkha, or the first one's called a Nietzsche. And the last one, and this is the one that most people <laughs> don't find difficult, uh, difficult to comprehend, that there is no permanent I, me, or mine in this, uh, I, me, or myself, in this body and the mind. We're all, you know, like um, 
a work in progress. It's a process that's going on. And uh, for instance, we, we have, but then people think, well, does that mean there's no one here? But it feels like someone's here. <laughs> I feel like it. <laughs> Especially when I have strong emotion, either anger or irritation or strong desires, whatever it is, strong positive feelings too. But of course there is. What's there is a character and a personality that's been created by repetition, created by influences in our lives. We've got lots of influences in our lives from our parents, our teachers, spiritual teachers, lots from the internet. <laughs> and uh, so all these things shape the character of the personality we have. But it's not permanent. It's not always going to be the same. So the character we had when we were very young, the sorts of things that we were interested in when we were very young, no longer probably interest us at all. We've changed quite a lot. And in the same way, from the Buddhist perspective, when we leave this life, when the body and the mind splits from this body and goes to the next life, to another body, the mind will be changing, that character, that personality will be changing. And what we take with us, this is a sobering part, is the good or bad <laughs> qualities we've developed. And so from the perspective of the, the Buddhist teaching, this is the nature of ultimate reality. And very interestingly, yesterday we had a video, didn't we, that, um, of Ajahn Brahm's life. Uh, um, well, Ajahn Brahm's being here in Melbourne. Yes, please, if you'd like to sit down. And, um, uh, and also some early photos of when he was a child, which was great for the the children in the Dhamma school, because they could really relate to it. I thought they could anyway. But he talked about ultimate reality. And he said, ultimate reality is not a bunch of concepts. <laughs> he said, it's a feeling, a feeling of great freedom, freedom, peace, you know, uh, of ease in the mind and understanding the nature of reality, being being more or less at one with what th the way things are, not being at odds with it. So this is what uh, Buddhism is aiming for, and this is what the right aspect is about that you mention, is really about the right view that takes us all the way to enlightenment. And that right view is, of course, these noble eightfold paths, that's the, the Buddha taught. And, of course... I think sometimes people don't relate to this idea of view. View is what we believe in, what we, um, how we see the world. It's our beliefs, our opinions, all these sorts of things. And when you start to look at views, you realize our lives are just full of views. We have views about everything, <laughs> whether it be the toothpaste, whether it be about the transport, whether it be about ourselves, whether about everybody, everything. But I say at the end of the day, the, the view that is helpful, the view that is positive, the view that is giving us, bringing us happiness and well-being, that's useful. The other stuff, the views that are negative, that are bringing up anger, ill will, developing a lot of the negative quality, forget about them. We don't need them. <laughs> we don't need them. But that's hard to see unless, because we actually usually think this is the truth, this is the way it is. But we don't stop to think, yeah, this is just one perception, one story 
that I'm buying into. But let's just buy into the stories that are better for us, that bring us some happiness, bring us peace, and bring and develop positive qualities in us. doesn't mean we have to ignore reality. We can learn a lot from the nature of life. And so this is very important, this view. And as you said, this right or correct, it really does stand out. I agree with you the same. When I first came across it, I thought, wow, how can you say that? But of course, the other point is, you can say that from an enlightened mind, you know, of the mind of a Buddha. And a Buddha isn't uh, just a particular person. The Buddha said there'd been series, a series of Buddhas, and he mentioned seven, but in the commentaries they come up with 28, actually. So over huge amounts of time. So these beings, that extraordinary beings, that actually discover for themselves also due to their past lives, you know, their experience of, of uh, the knowledge and things that they learnt in the past, they, come, uh, they see the nature of reality in incredible depth. And so this is um, something that's extraordinary. It's somebody who's stood out of the ordinary mind state and has seen the nature of our lives. So... This is really something quite extraordinary. Of course, you have to, in a sense, believe that the Buddha was enlightened, that this person was that extraordinary. But of course, you can verify that, look at that, you know, by first of all looking at the teachings that he taught. And some of the, uh, all of the teachings actually are are very impressive, actually. They hang together so well. And, um, And of course, the ultimate, the ultimate test is when we try it out ourselves. <laughs> if you get good results from it, that can bring more confidence in that path. But in the end, all everything that we do, we just the things that we actually take on board to do are the things we believe in. If we don't believe something's worthwhile, it's going to give benefit to forget it. <laughs> we won't we won't put any energy or time into it. So this is a very important motivating factor on the Noble Eightfold Path. So I'd like to finish there and uh, thank you for all coming. It's wonderful that we have the opportunity to meditate together because it gives a, there's quite a supportive energy when people meditate together. Strange, isn't it? We're sitting in silence, (laughs) yet it's supportive. It's quite extraordinary, but it does help us go deeper, uh, to sit for longer. And, uh, you know, this is bring more peace and stillness to the mind. So thank you very much for this evening. And for those who'd like to, we can just pay respects to the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha to finish off. Just to do some ads, if you're interested in the uh, introduction to Buddhism, is it, uh, there's an introduction to Buddhism on Friday, is it the Buddhism? Yeah, on Friday at 7 o'clock here. And on Sundays we have a program starting at 9.30 to 10.30 and then a shared lunch. So 
welcome to come.